Well, hello. You're listening to Shaun of the South, brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition in my family, and by Folklore Brewing and Madry, literally the best beer in Alabama. This episode you're about to hear was recorded in Chattanooga, Tennessee, last year as part of our travels around the U.S. and the Southeast, recording new episodes before audiences with special guest Tyler Grant, national flat-picking champion, singer, songwriter, storyteller, educator, and man of many talents with a career spanning nearly 30 years. You don't want to miss it. And later in the show, I tell a story about eating at an old cafe. Let's have a listen. Everybody's happy, even grumpy old grandpappy Together on a Saturday night Well, you are listening to Shaun of the South We are coming to you live from Tennessee This episode brought to you by Case Knives The tradition in my family and my folklore brewing in me Special guest tonight, Tyler Grant on the guitar Everybody, Tyler Grant Feeling low Hey listen buddy I'm your guy Just hurry and come over Mama made apple turnovers Together on the Saturday night Proud to be here in Tennessee. Proud to be here. There are a lot of things I like about this wonderful state, but I'm going to start at the top because in Tennessee they have moon pies. <laughs> That's right. You can find them everywhere, not just at gas stations and WalMarts. But I found a moon pie this morning on my motel pillow. I can remember eating a moon pie when I was a kid with my father when we briefly lived in Tennessee when I was a boy. He was an iron worker building the GM plant in Spring Hill, and I was a redhead, missing most of my teeth. And I remember it was morning, and he handed me a moon pie and a Royal Crown Cola in a glass bottle. And we sat on the curb outside a shell station, and we ate in silence. And I chewed with my mouth open. It was a glorious memory. For the unbaptized, anybody who doesn't know what a moon pie is in our listening audience, first of all, I feel sorry for you. Second of all, a moon pie is a chocolate marshmallowy graham cracker snack that Tennesseans take very seriously. Tennesseans eat moon pies at a variety of special occasions, such as birthdays, graduations, real estate closings, Holy Communion, 
pies come in a different variety of flavors. They have chocolate, vanilla, banana, strawberry, salted caramel. And once per year, just before the Tennessee-Florida game, they sell moon pies made out of real University of Florida graduates. <laughs> I do love it here. I do love it here. I drove across the Big Bend State following US Route 11 and I got stuck behind a church van and I was just content to drive slow through the violent green mountains. I passed Cleveland, Charleston, bounded over the Hiawassee River and there were pretty towns that passed by my, my windows like faded little memories. Calhoun, Riceville, Athens, Sweetwater. It was a wonderful drive, a wonderful drive, maybe one of the best in the nations. In a way, I believe Tennessee contains all the best parts of America crammed together in one giant geometrical rhomboid. You have mirrored rivers, you have barbecue, you have Jack Daniels. <laughs> and of course, you have Elvis Presley. Now, a lot of people don't know, but there's a lot of good beer here in Tennessee, too. And as a journalist and writer, it is my continuing mission to make sure the beer in each U.S. state is up to par. <laughs> so I pulled over for the night in Knoxville, and I ate supper at one of the craft breweries. And I sat at the bar beside a guy from Collierville. Collierville. He said he was an eighth-generation Tennessean. He sat beside me, and he looked at the television that was playing overhead and he said, you know our state gets a bad rap on TV? You know, whenever you see us in the movies or in the news, they make us look like shirtless hicks with only two or three teeth. And that's not fair, because heck, I got all five of my teeth. <laughs> Another man chimed in on my other side. He said, if you're talking Tennessee, I got three words for you. Peyton Manning. <laughs> you got to be careful when you're talking to Tennesseans about football because these folks are crazy when it comes to football. This is a state where people skip their own mother's funerals to attend games. <laughs> a state where the university president once remarked publicly, we want a university our football team can be proud of. Tennessee is old. Tennessee is very, very old. Not long ago, bones and artifacts were found in a local backyard that were over 14,000 years old. Among the oldest artifacts ever found in the state, it came from unknown tribes which inhabited this land. Tribes that predated the natives who later inhabited the land, such as the Cherokee, the Chickasaw, and the Creek, and the Shawnee. These tribes were soon followed later in history by frontiersmen and frontierswomen such as Davy Crockett, Andrew Jackson, and of course, Aretha Franklin. <laughs> the first European to reach this land that we now call Tennessee was in 1540, Spanish explorer Hernando de Soto. In 1754, the French and English started fighting for control of this land during the French and Indian War. British were victorious. In 1763, they won all the land east of the Mississippi, including what is now Tennessee. 
But after the American Revolution, Tennessee became its own state in 1796. They never looked back. Only one week after forming their state, they went and set up Dollywood. beautiful state regarded by many as the greatest and most beautiful green state in the union great smoky mountains national park is the united states most visited national park and of course in 1925 back when calvin coolidge was still president back when there was a man named george herman ruth still hitting home runs up north only a few years before a man named charles Lindbergh. A tall, slender man would crawl into the spirit of St. Louis and fly across the Atlantic and land his airplane in Paris. There was a little radio station called WSM on 650 AM. The station started a country music radio show under the direction of George D. Hay, a Chicago radio announcer who was brought in because of a show he was doing in Chicago called National Barn Dance on Chicago's WLS. One of the show's first guests had been told to George D. Hay by Ava Thompson Jones, who worked as a piano accompanist at WSM, who suggested that her uncle Jimmy Thompson, a 77-year-old man who played the fiddle, might be allowed to be a musician on the show. They invited Uncle Jimmy Thompson on the show to play old-time fiddle tunes, and he did. It was such a positive response from listeners around the Nashville area that today the radio show is one of the most popular and long-enduring radio shows in the United States. I am, of course, talking about the Grand Ole Opry broadcast from Nashville every single week. It is a beautiful state, a place that everybody ought to visit once or twice or five or six times before they pass on into glory. They must see Great Smoky Mountains National Park and they must, they must stop by one of these lonesome gas stations and buy a moon pie. We are proud to be here in Tennessee tonight. Now let's welcome up here to the stage man who can Tennessee flat pick a guitar so hard that it might light on fire. Tyler Grant, everybody. Tyler Grant. Do a neighborly deed 
For a traveler here Or a friend in need I'd rather live By the side of the road And help some pilgrims Along life's way
I remember going to see the Grand Ole Opry when I was a boy. It's one of those things that always sticks in my mind. It's something I can't seem to, to forget. The Grand Ole Opry is a, is a vivid experience for a child. The colors, the smells, the sights, the music, the sound, the people. There are people in the Grand Ole Opry cast who use enough hairspray to deflect small caliber bullets. <laughs> you see this as a kid and it leaves an impression on you. You go home and you crawl underneath your mother's bathroom counter and you get the hairspray <laughs> and you spend about 30 minutes in the bathroom <laughs> spraying that spray all over your hair until you emerge with a hairstyle that looks like a cross between Elvis and the Empire State Building. <laughs> Grand Ole Opry. Yes, I do remember it. My daddy drove through the busy city of Nashville. I think I was five years old, five years old, sitting in the front seat of his green Ford F-100. And I remember looking at him and I said, Daddy, do you think there'll be anybody famous there? He looked at me, he said, do I? Well, you better know it. Well, there's always famous people at the Opry. And there's famous ghosts, too. Ghosts? Really? Oh, yeah, big old ghosts. They've been there for a long time. My daddy was always good with a ghost story. I said, what kind of ghosts? He said, oh, there's the ghost of Hank Williams, for one thing. And there's the ghost of Hank Snow. And there's the ghost of Lefty Frizzell. Oh, oh, there's always ghosts in the Opry. Well, are they nice ghosts? I asked. Well, that depends. I said, on what? He said, well, it depends on if you're a nice boy or not. Well, what happens if I'm not a nice boy? He smiled. He said, a ghost will swoop down from the rafters and suck out your soul through your nostrils and send you to hell and make you listen to classical music for eternity. <laughs> and I'll never forget it. My daddy and I walked into the amphitheater and we were greeted by the smell of hot dogs and popcorn. We were greeted by the wonderful men in 10-gallon hats and women in rhinestones and there were steel guitars and dueling fiddles and the sound of Keith Bilbrey's silky announcing voice saying, you're listening to the grand old Opry. And it was a star-studded dream wrapped up in a beehive hairdo with a big old guitar strapped to its proverbial chest. <laughs> but you know, the height of that evening was not the music, nor the laughs or the sparkling stones on the women's outfits, it, it happened after the show, and I will never forget it. We made our way to the lobby where there was a horde of people waiting in line, and we couldn't see what they were excited about. I mean, I'd never seen that many people in my life. Maybe they were excited for the president or some famous politician, or even better, George Jones. But when we got closer, I saw her. It was Minnie Pearl. You can never forget Minnie, Minnie Pearl's voice. She would be on the Opry, and she'd come on, and she'd say, Howdy! And everybody in the audience would say, Howdy! And then she'd say, I'm just so proud to be here. And it always sounded so, so pure and true. And my father was getting nervous because he loved Minnie Pearl. And after a little while of waiting, my dad got real close to her, and she got close to him, 
and she kissed him right on the cheek. I'll never, ever unsee that moment. My father was so dumbfounded he could only mumble her classic one-liner. And I heard him say, I, 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 I'm just so proud to be here. <laughs> I remember that night on the show, Minnie Pearl had sang the Tennessee Waltz. It was a beautiful, beautiful song. I loved the way she'd sang it. It's a song that really should be sang by a woman. And it really should be sang with a, a mournful timbre to the voice. But, but I'd like to sing this song for you here. I was dancing with my loved one at the Tennessee Walls when an old friend I happened to see introduced him to my loved one and while they were dancing my friend stole my sweetheart from me I remember the night and the Tennessee was And now I know just how much I've lost Yes, I lost my little darling The night they were playing The Tennessee, the beautiful walls with my baby to the Tennessee once when an old friend I happened to see introduced him to my loved one and while they were dancing my friend stole my sweetheart from me I remember the night Tennessee Waltz And I know Just how much I've lost Yes, I lost My little darling To the Tennessee Waltz The beautiful Tennessee Waltz The beautiful Tennessee Waltz Well, this portion of our show is brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition in my family dating back to my granddaddy who once said the best cure for idle hands was to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a case knife because according to my grandmother, there is no sin more grievous than having idle hands. She would 
take any child with idle hands and send him or her out to the yard to gather firewood or do some sort of busy work. And she herself never had idle hands, especially when a child misbehaved when her idle hands connected with your idle butt. <laughs> this portion of our show also brought to you by Tennessee Peanuts. Tennessee Peanuts. Are you feeling tired, anxious, or unhappy? You have frequent bouts of forlorn complacency and existential angst that leaves you exhausted, drained, grumpy, depleted, and downright despondent. Well, try Tennessee Peanut Company's down-home peanuts. Ten out of twelve doctors recommend Tennessee Peanuts to aid digestion, increase circulation, and improve well-being overall. Tennessee Peanut Company brings you an array of roasted peanut flavors to suit all your body's essential peanut needs as identified by the American Medical Association. So you can burn your tongue on some Nashville's sweet and spicy peanuts or satisfy your sinful needs with doubly dipped chocolate peanuts. Enjoy flavors like Cajun Bayou Bites, Honey Roasted Chipotle, traditional salty, sea salt, or cracked pepper. And when you have room in your belly, Try some sweet, sweet classic peanut brittle. You can trust me on this. Your pancreas will thank you. <laughs> the Tennessee Peanut Company, for all your peanut needs, open 24 hours of the morning, day, or night, and time of day. Visit the Tennessee Peanut Company at TennesseePeanut.com. And now, if you would, the national flat-picking champion of America, Tyler Grant, everybody. Tyler Grant.
help some folks along my way Took my orders and drew my pay Provided for my home and family Now I'm flying down the highway and I'm finally breaking free It's the last day I'm gonna cash that check It's the last day yeah. I'm gonna cash that check It's the last day on the job Huckleberry Hornpipe I was driving on the road and I was making my way from Alabama to Tennessee. 
Long, long ride ahead of me. A long ride. Several hours worth. And I pulled over at a little tiny eatery that was tucked way out in the sticks on one of them rural two-lane highways. One of my biggest fears is that America is going to lose its two-lane highways and it's going to it's going to build more interstates and more giant six-lane and 12-lane amalgamations that, that ruin the landscape and really are nothing but an homage to the age of concrete. <laughs> the U.S. interstate system has about as much charm as a Soviet bunker. <laughs> when you ride on the interstate, you see nothing. You see lots of cars, who are driving at least 80 miles an hour. You see no, no rural sites. You see only billboards advertising buckies and gas stations and fast food restaurants that are trying to attract children. But, but when you ride the two lanes, when you ride the two lanes, you see things that your grandparents saw. You see old barns and you see cow houses, you see little tiny farmhouses, two stories with faded clapboards and rusted tin roofs and porches that are littered with rocking chairs. And you see old sheds with John Deere's and Macy Ferguson's and farmall tractors parked inside. You see small pens with mules and horses inside. It's a beautiful, beautiful sight to take two-lane roads. You pass all the grandma grass and saw grass and wire grass and the stubble and hay fields that have just been cut and the foraging grass and the fescue and alfalfa. I was driving along between Alabama and Tennessee and I stopped just as I crossed the Alabama border. And I found this little cafe that really didn't have a name except for the name Mama's Cafe, which I wasn't sure whether it was a cafe name or it was a statement <laughs> about who the cook was. And I pulled over into a tiny parking lot that was made of dirt and gravel, and it had rusted trucks with muddy fenders and old model Fords and Chevys all parked together in a large corral of Detroit Engineering. And I turned off my vehicle, swung my keys on my chain, and I walked across that parking lot to the front door. And as I got inside, there was an old lady standing behind the counter. She was 73 years old. She didn't tell me her name, but she sat me down at this little table in the back. And I sat and watched all the people who were in the restaurant at the time. The people who visit side of the highway restaurants are just like you and me. There was a couple who looked like they might have been from the big city, wherever that may be, maybe Huntsville or perhaps Nashville or somewhere else. And you could tell this because the woman had her hair fixed to perfection and the man was wearing workout clothing, and he had his sunglasses perched atop his head, which causes me to wonder why would a man wear sunglasses perched atop his head? 
and his pants were tapered at the bottom, his workout pants, so that they were tight around the ankles. And this causes me uh, to wonder why anyone would wear tapered pants like that. Is it to keep something in or to keep something out? <laughs> and there was a couple behind me that looked like the rural folk. Mine was wearing a seed company hat with a bent bill that looked like it had been creased right down the center and the woman was wearing a pink sweatshirt and it said, you can't handle this. <laughs> but the one thing everybody had in common is that they were all eating the same kind of fare, the same kind of food, the food of the gods. You can keep your five-star Michelin restaurants and you can keep your fancy-dancy, floozy, smoozy French cooking because out in the sticks you will find the best food that America has to offer. You will find smothered fried steaks and biscuits about as big as regulation softballs. You see, our mothers in this part of the world, they spoiled us early. They spoiled us. They really did. They gave us whatever we wanted when we were children. They gave us sausage gravy for breakfast, chicken fried steaks. There's lots of different kinds of ways to fry. There's smother frying, there's chicken frying, there's skillet frying, and there's the kind of frying that you do if you do not believe in the Lord, and that is hell frying. <laughs> Other people who might also hell fry are people who put sugar in their cornbread. And we eat a lot of vegetables. Yeah, we eat a lot of vegetables in this part of the world. A lot of people don't know that. They think we eat all sorts of unhealthy foods that are mostly based out of bacon, grease, and flour, which is true, but we also eat vegetables. But our vegetables are very different. When we eat collards, for instance, we get a large pot and we place bacon grease inside the pot and we get it real hot and boiling and then we put three collards inside it. Our mothers cook everything with bacon grease because that's just the way it goes. And the bacon grease sits in a Maxwell House coffee can on the back of the stove until it gets warm and soft when your mother turns on the stove. And then she adds dollops of this grease to any dish she makes, including birthday cakes, <laughs> salads, <laughs> collard greens, fried chicken, anything. That bacon grease sits on the stove and she adds it to every single dish. And this bacon grease has been accumulating in that blue Maxwell House can ever since the Nixon administration. <laughs> My granny raised three young men on bacon grease during World War II. And these three uncles of mine they ate bacon grease every day of their life, and this is why they developed 42-inch waistlines. <laughs> because my granny used to say, it's a sin not to clean your plate. You better clean your plate. And my uncles, they did. They'd clean every single morsel of food off their plate. Because as my granny used to say, every time you leave food behind, you feed Hitler. And so my uncle said, well, heck, we tried to starve the entire German army. 
But these are the people that I come from. I come from people who cook that way. As I walked into that little cafe, I was feeling all those same feelings because I was smelling all those same smells. The same smells of smother fried steak and white pepper mill gravy. Oh, it was just wafting through the air and I could just feel it in my blood and in my bones. And that old woman came from behind the counter and she sat me down. She asked what I wanted to eat and I told her. I said that I would take the biscuits and the gravy and I would have a side of Kaneka quick freeze sausage. And my food came and I ate. And it was really one of the better meals I've had in a long, long time. I looked out the window and I saw these cars passing along that two-lane highway out in the country, out in the hinterlands of the south. And I felt good. I felt real good. And I looked at all the people who were gathered in this restaurant. There was a young couple, a young man and wife, who maybe had just gotten out of their teens a few years ago. And they were both wearing wedding rings, so I knew they were married. And they were splitting an order of pancakes. And there was another couple on the other side of me, and they were old. They were gray and silver-haired. And they were eating in total silence because that's what old married couples do. They could just look at each other, and they know what the other one is thinking. And as I was finishing my meal, I dabbed my face with my napkin, and I stood up, and I went to go pay my bill. And the old woman was sitting behind the cash register, and she was reading a Better Home and Garden magazine. And I saw a stack of other magazines, like People with the Sexiest Man Alive on it. And I handed her my ticket, and she said, was everything okay? I said, yeah, it was great. Actually, it was, it, was, it was great. And we got to talking as she was ringing me up because that's something else that people do here. Conversation is an art that is dying in America because the Internet has changed everything. We, we don't have to talk to each other in person and make eye contact for long periods of time because the Internet has... has filled in this void of socialization that we, that we had. And so when we are face-to-face -face with people, we tend to shorten things up, and we're not quite as invested as we used to be at one time in America. But this woman and I, we were talking, and I learned about her. Because you can learn a lot about someone if you just, if you just have a conversation with them. She was 73 years old, and her husband had just passed had just passed from cancer. He had just retired from working in a mill and he had wanted to go travel the US with her and they had bought an RV, a 28 foot bounder RV and they were gonna see the US. She'd always wanted to see Utah and Moab and Arches National Park and Zion and she wanted to see uh, highway 1 in California, the Pacific Coast Highway, and she wanted to camp and see the Redwood Forest, and she'd wanted to go all the way up to Canada and see that. But life had stepped in the way, and he passed away, and it happened sudden. He was 76 years old, and she was working here now, cooking and working the cash register, and she sold the RV. And I asked her how she was getting along. She said, oh, it's fine, it's fine, but I do feel lonely sometimes. I lost my Warren, that was his name, 
I lost him. And now he's beneath the soul and he's got half of my heart with him. And I looked at her and she just kind of smiled weakly at me and I felt this deep-seated loneliness inside her. She said, I met Warren when I was 14 years old and he was three years older than me. He was 17. And he came to my daddy and he said, I would like to marry your daughter. And my daddy looked at him and said, people in hell want a glass of ice water, son. <laughs> and my daddy made us wait for two years until we got married. But we got married and it was the right thing. Oh, and he wore and joined the army and we got to see parts of the world. I've been to Japan. I've been to Germany. And then he died this past year, and I miss him so much. And I watched as she was ringing me up, and out from the back of the kitchen came these two little kids, blonde-headed, tow-headed girls, roughly, I would say, between ages 8 and 10. And they gave this woman kisses and hugs, and I realized that she was probably the grandmother. And as she was hugging them and kissing them, I put my cash on the counter. And she looked at my cash with a smirk, and she said, you know, not many people pay cash anymore. Even our old folks, they all pay with cards now. I said, well, I've always preferred to be old-fashioned, I guess. And she decided to use this as a teaching opportunity for one of her granddaughters. She looked at one of her granddaughters and she said, do you know how to count change, honey? And the little girl looked at her grandmother and she nodded. She said, yes, ma'am, I do. And she said, well, come on up here and count change. And she took that girl into her arms. She propped her up on her knee. And I could see her little muscles straining, holding that little girl in her hands. I mean, the girl was heavy. She placed her right there on her lap and the girl mashed a several buttons on the cash register, pop, 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 pop. And the door opened, ka-ching, and the little girl reached in and she counted out change. And I gave the girl a 20, and the girl gave me dollars and, and quarters and nickels and dimes back. Now she was short, a dollar 27, but who's counting? <laughs> I didn't say anything, I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna ruin the moment. I took the change and I put it in my pocket. And Granny was so proud. And she set the girl back on the ground and she closed the cash drawer. And she said, you know, a lot has changed since Warren has died. She said, I, I have become a different person. I said, well, what's changed? She said, well, you know, I'd say one of the major things that's changed is that I say I love you all the time to people I know. I do, I say I love you every day to, to everybody, even people I'm not real close with, even, even people that, I, that are not part of my family, I say I love you. I said, well, why do you do that? She said, well, because you never know when you're gonna see that person again. Life steps in so quickly and, and we're not gonna be here forever. You don't know if that day that person's going to die or you're going to die. You just don't know. And so I say I love you because it might be the only time that person hears it between now and their final end. It might be the only time I get to say it 
before now in my final breath. I looked at her, and I asked the obvious question. I said, well, what about me? She looked at me with this wry grin. She said, what about you? I said, well, are you going to tell me you love me? She looked at me, and I guess she figured I was harmless, even though we were both absolute strangers and never laid eyes on each other before and probably never would again. She said, sure, why not? I love you, baby. And I looked at her, and I said, well, I love you too. And I walked around that counter because she was coming around to me, and we just gave a little tiny hug and patted each other's backs And as I hugged her, I thought, you know, she smells a lot like a woman I used to know. My granny smelled a lot like her. And I released her, and I said, thank you. And she said, for what? I said, well, for telling me something that I might not ever hear again if I don't drive safely. (laughs) She smiled and she laughed. She said, oh, you'll drive safely. You'll drive safely. But I do mean it. And hey, how about you pay it forward? Tell someone else you love them. And I said, yes, ma'am, I will. I walked out of that restaurant, and I let that door shut behind me, and I heard that little bell ding. And I walked all the way across that gravel parking lot, and I crawled into my car, and I turned it on, and I sped away on that two-lane highway And I guess what I'd like to say is, Warren, if you're out there listening, your wife is doing just fine. And I guess I just thought that you'd like to know that. Hey, thank you very much for having me this evening. It's been a wonderful pleasure. Thank you very much. That's our show for you. That's our show. Special guest tonight, Tyler Grant. This episode brought to you by Case Knives, the tradition of my family, and folklore brewing in Meadry and TennesseePeanuts.com. Special thanks to Kim Scott, John Rainey, Silvio Centamore, Aaron Peters, Alan Wright, and Federico Hachidi. And how about this guy, Tyler Grant, everybody? In this entire world, hardly a comfort can afford. Waiting for love to guide me on my way. Let me tell you, where could I go but to the Lord? Mm-hmm. Where could I go? Lord, where could I go? Seeking for refuge from the storm. Needing a friend to lead me to the end. Let me tell you, where could I go? To the Lord. Ooh, it's our show for everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Thank you.